In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Direct, we beseech you, O Lord, all our actions by your gracious assistance, and that every work and word of ours may be carried on by you and by your grace, brought to fruitful completion through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To begin, I contrast two movies, each portraying the church in quite different lights. First is The Da Vinci Code, based on the book by Dan Brown. In it, the church is depicted as being willing to kill to prevent the Holy Grail from being discovered, which in the movie, the Holy Grail is actually Mary Magdalene's body. And that fact that she had children with Jesus and their descendants are still alive today. And if all you know about Opus Dei is from Dan Brown, that you would believe then it is a Catholic sect focused solely on wealth and power while degrading women and obsessively focusing on bodily mortifications as the main protagonist, the enemy to the, the main characters in the movie is this albino monk who is a member of OS Dei, you know, set out to, to kill them. If you've not seen or read The Da Vinci Code, please don't save yourself from that pulp fiction. In contrast, a very well done movie came out in 2011 called There Be Dragons, which tells the story of St. Jose Maria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei. The movie is a historical retelling of the early life of Jose Maria and a fictional childhood friend named Manolo. In the movie, you see Jose Maria persistently trying to fulfill his mission as a priest in the midst of a violent and dangerous Spanish Civil War during the 1930s. Jose Maria taught that God is found in everyday life. And in this case, everyday life for him was the Spanish Civil War, in which the divisions between religion and the Republic grew so sharp that the film opens with the words, one had to either swear on the Bible or spit on it. I mentioned these two movies because outside of them, my experience is that not very many people are familiar with St. Jose Maria Escriva unless they are involved with Opus Dei. And yet, this is the man that St. John Paul II called the saint of the ordinary. The spirituality of Jose Maria Escriva and Opus Dei is that of finding God in the midst of work and daily life. And so he is, of course, the saint I chose for this talk. My own introduction to St. Jose Maria Escriva occurred on October 6, 2002, the day of his canonization. I'd been sent to Rome to study canon law and arrived just a week before. Thankfully, I would later discover Rome isn't normally that busy. <laughs> but that week before this canonization, it was packed. Fortunately, I was able to get a ticket to help distribute communion at the canonization mass, which a half million people attended. Needless to say, it was quite the welcome to Rome. <laughs> After the canonization, I realized I need to learn about who this new saint is and read a biography um, by Peter Bergler, who is, I also recommend that book 
Jose Maria Escriva was born in Spain in 1902. His father was Jose and his mother Maria. So you can guess where he got his name from, Jose Maria. His parents gave him a strong Christian education, including a life of virtue, frequent confession and Holy Communion, prayer and devotion to Our Lady. While intelligent and studious, he was also cheerful and fun-loving, despite the sorrows he would undergo at a young age. One of six children, his three younger sisters died before he was 11. At age 13, his family suffered financial difficulties and had to move to a nearby town for their father to find work. Every biography of Jose Maria mentions the story of the first time he sensed his vocation. It was during the Christmas season, just before his 16th birthday, and he saw some frozen footprints in the snow. They'd been left by a discalced Carmelite. And he was moved by the thought of this barefoot friar walking in the freezing snow and found himself wondering, if others sacrifice so much for God and for neighbor, couldn't I do something too? Jose Maria sensed that God was asking something of him, although he didn't yet know exactly what it was. This moment had a decisive influence on his future, for he decided to become a priest, thinking this would help him discover and fulfill his calling from God. So after completing high school, he started seminary studies. His fellow seminaries recall the example of his life of piety, respect for discipline, and endeavor in study, despite his once getting in a fist fight with a fellow seminarian. During this time, his spiritual life became deeply rooted in the Eucharist and Mary. He spent many hours praying before the Blessed Sacrament, and each day would also visit the Basilica of Our Lady Pilar, asking Mary to help him know God's will. His father died just four months before his ordination as a priest in 1925 at the young age of 23. He began his ministry in a rural parish, but in 1927, Father Jose Maria moved to Madrid. In the Spanish capital, his apostolic zeal soon brought him into contact with a wide variety of people, students, artists, workers, academics, priests. In particular, he was chaplain for the Foundation for the Sick, a charitable organization that treated some 4,000 people every year with food, medicine, clothing, and pastoral care. On October 2nd, 1928, during a spiritual retreat, Father Jose Maria saw what it was that God was asking of him to open up in the church a new vocational path, a way of sanctification, holiness, and apostolate through daily work through the fulfillment of the ordinary duties, even within and amidst the world. The Scriva remained silent about what exactly occurred on that feast of the guardian angels or about any mystical graces that he received throughout his life. For he always insisted that Opus Dei was not his own invention. He did not see himself as an innovator or reformer. Rather, this was God's call and his commission. From then on, he went about carrying out this task. But initially, what would later be called Opus Dei consisted of just one man, a 26-year-old priest with light and zeal. Convinced that one can and should sanctify the world 
and sanctify oneself in the world. Jose Maria didn't try to spread this message by writing a book. No, he taught it by his own life, sacrificing himself completely for others. He continued his priestly ministry, particularly caring for children, the sick and poverty stricken in the suburbs of the city. At the same time, he taught law to earn a living for himself and his mother, sister, and brother. And some of the first members of Opus Dei would come from among his students who were attracted by his prayer and self-sacrifice. They wanted to learn what his secret was and decided to follow him. At the beginning, this apostolic work didn't even have a name until one day a friend asked, how is that work of God coming along? And a name was born, the work of God, Opus Dei, ordinary work transformed into God's work. Actually, I did know about Jose Maria Escriva before I attended his canonization. While in the seminary, I read a little book called The Way, first published in 1934 under the title Spiritual Considerations. There have since been 372 printings of The Way in 44 languages, and his circulation has passed the four and a half million mark. It contains 999 pithy statements of spiritual insight about Christian life and spirituality based on real lived experience. Every paragraph is a gem to be meditated on slowly. For example, number 475, the means. You realize you are weak, and so indeed you are. In spite of that, rather just because of that, God has chosen you. He always uses inadequate instruments so that the work will be seen to be his. Of you, he only asks docility. Number 530, the Holy Mass. Isn't it strange how many Christians who take their time and have their leisure enough in their social life in following the sleepy rhythm of their professional affairs in eating and recreation find themselves rushed and want to rush the priest in their anxiety to shorten the time devoted to the most holy sacrifice of the altar. He has several other books of these pithy spiritual statements, including the furrow and the forge, which like the way, just give these little short reflections that one can take to prayer. In Spain, a civil war broke out in 1936 with outbreaks of religious violence in Madrid. And Father Jose Maria was forced to exercise his priestly ministry clandestinely and move from place to place seeking refuge, fully aware that if caught, he could be executed, as were 6,000 other priests martyred during the Spanish Revolution. Eventually, he left the Spanish capital and after a dangerous journey across the Pyrenees Mountains, he took up residence in the nationalist zone where he could exercise his priestly ministry more freely. When the war concluded in 1939, he returned to Madrid and gave new vigor to his apostolic work and mobilized many university students to take Christ to every aspect and area of society. At the same time, with his growing reputation for holiness, he gave many retreats to laity, priests, and religious. In 1941, the Bishop of Madrid gave 
his full backing and granted the first canonical approval to Opus Dei. In 1943, through a new grace he received while celebrating Mass, there came to birth the Priestly Society of the Holy Cross, in which Jose Maria foresaw priests proceeding from the faithful who belonged to Opus Dei. In June of 1944, three engineers were ordained as the first priests of the Priestly Society. One of them, Alvaro del Portillo, would eventually succeed the founder as the head of Opus Dei and was beatified in 2014. In 1946, the headquarters of Opus Dei were fixed in Rome, showing Father Jose Maria's aspiration to serve the church founded by Christ. But having a universal Catholic heart, he frequently traveled to various European countries and Mexico to spark the apostolic growth of Opus Dei in those places. This approval doesn't mean that now Monsignor Escriva was without his trials and critics. When it was founded, many aspects of Opus Dei's spirit were considered revolutionary for the time to the point that some of them were called heretical. Aspects such as the vision of the role of the lady in the church and in the world, the view of marriage as a way to become a saint, the idea of the world as a place where one can pursue holiness, and that the demands and joys of ordinary everyday life could be a path or means to sanctity. In 1962, Pope John XXIII announced the opening of the Second Vatican Council, and over the next three years, the Church confirmed several fundamental aspects of the spirit of Opus Dei, such as the universal call to holiness, professional work as a means to holiness and apostolate, the value and lawful limits of Christian freedom in temporal affairs, and the Holy Mass as the center and root and source of the interior life. So undoubtedly, Jose Maria was a forerunner of many of the council's teachings. And afterwards, he diligently fostered its implementation through the activities of Opus Dei all over the world. In his later years, Escriva undertook a number of catechetical journeys where he would speak about God, the sacraments, Christian devotion, the sanctification of work, and his love for the church and the Pope. In 1974 and 75, he made two long trips to a number of countries in Latin America, where he met with large groups of people and spoke to them about their Christian vocation to holiness. Just three months after celebrating his 50th Jubilee of priestly ordination, Jose Maris Griva died in Rome in 1975. I had the opportunity to celebrate mass at the tomb of St. Jose Maria on June 26, the anniversary of his death. The epitaph he chose that he instructed should be written on his tomb was simply Jose Maria Escriva Peccator, sinner. And underneath that, pray for him. Jose Maria Escriva, sinner, pray for him. That's what it was supposed to read. But after he died, his successor couldn't bring him to carry out that instruction. And so the only two words inscribed there are El Padre, the father. By the time of his death, Opus Dei had begun in dozens of countries 
and touched countless lives, and his books had reached millions. Pope John Paul II beatified Monsignor Escriva on May 17, 1992. With supernatural intuition, the Pope said, Blessed Jose Maria entirely preached the universal call to holiness and apostolate. Ten years later, on October 6, 2002, John Paul II canonized the founder of Opus Dei in St. Peter's Square before a multitude of people. At the canonization, the Holy Father said that St. Jose Maria was chosen by the Lord to proclaim the universal call to holiness and to indicate that everyday life, its customary activities, are a path toward holiness. It can be said that he was the saint of the ordinary. St. Escriva believed that sanctity is something for every person. It should be normal and ordinary because indeed it is demanded of every person who is baptized. This call to be saints isn't something new. Even Christ himself challenged us, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And St. Paul affirmed in the first letter to the Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your sanctification. His successor, Blessed Alvaro de Portillo, summarized the basic conviction, the root of the whole spiritual message of Monsignor Escriva was the urgent need to seek personal sanctity in the midst of the world. And for most Christians, this personal sanctity realized in the ordinary and everyday occurs through professional work. Work that is sanctified also sanctifies. It makes Christ present in the world with a growing and contagious spirit. Work then becomes a way to bring others into contact with God. In a word, it is apostolic. It should be clear that St. Jose Maria taught that there's no task in the midst of the world that cannot be sanctified nor sanctifying. Any licit and moral profession, whether intellectual or manual, whether considered prestigious or hum humble, whether it's you know, important or menial, it has the potential to become a means for personal sanctification. Here we, we must remember St. Joseph and our Lord himself, who spent 30 years of hidden life working as a simple and poor car carpenter. Now, it's easy to say, and all sounds good, to say work makes us holy. But why doesn't that always seem to happen? How can we actually make our daily routine work an offering to God? For it to be more than a theory, we need some practical tips. First, the type of work we do needs to be one that can be offered to God. This means if your work prevents you from fulfilling your duties towards God, or causes you to spend too much time away from your family, or it unnecessarily puts your health in danger, or it's intrinsically immoral, or aimed merely for financial gain, then it's unlikely that this work will lead you to God. Because work is a means, not an end. 
Getting rich is not the proper end of work. It has a much greater purpose. Complying with the divine calling, we work to take care of the earth, to create a more just society, to care for our neighbors for the sake of love. Next, we need to look at the quality of our work. What kind of work are we offering to God? We need to be dedicated, industrious, professional, not lazy or sloppy. Do we work with an attention to detail and care about the quality of our work? Do we produce quality products and deliver what is promised? We should have a certain professional zeal and enthusiasm where we want to improve ourselves and our work, especially through training. Whether one works as a barber or an engineer, a maid or a scholar, one can still be a professional who seeks holiness by doing quality work with a good work ethic. All honest work can be a service to God. This means we offer our work by doing it in a moral, ethical manner, by being honest and just in our dealings. Even in the circumstances of today's professional world, perhaps more so today, we need to distinguish right from wrong and treat others with justice and charity, especially in professions like lawyers, accountants, and tax advisors. But in any job, we should answer the question, how would Christ conduct himself here in my place? Another way to offer our work to God is to do it with joy and out of love. A joy that thrives in knowing that my work is being done close to God and in service to neighbor and society. A joy that rejoices in seeing the fruit of one's handiwork, embracing the task at hand and doing it with love. This joy is possible regardless of the circumstances once we see that work is a way to follow Christ. This profound joy comes from knowing we're cooperating with the work of Christ upon the cross. To work is to share in the privilege of Simon of Cyrene, that privilege of helping Christ carry the cross. Well, just by definition, carrying the cross is not always going to be easy. Especially because of original sin, we may have an inclination to idleness, a natural reluctance and aversion to work. We're tempted to minimize our efforts at work or to avoid it because no one likes the burden, the exhaustion, the routine. Yet Christians quite literally become fellow workers of Christ. Our daily work includes a way of the cross. The fact that there's some suffering involved makes it an opportunity for identification with Christ. Everyday work can have a redemptive and sanctifying value when it's consciously and cooperatively united with Christ on the cross, who sanctifies all people and all types of work and every moment of our lives. A final way we offer our work to God is by joining it with prayer. Work becomes supernatural because its end is God and because it's done with God in mind. 
for St. Jose Maria, the root of the astonishing fruitfulness of his ministry lies precisely in his ardent interior life, which made him a contemplative in the midst of the world. An interior life that was fed on prayer and the sacraments, love for the Eucharist and the Mass, devotion to the Virgin Mary, St. Joseph and the guardian angels. St. Jose Maria preached constantly that an interior life is more important than just organizing activities. He insisted that holiness requires prayer, that work and apostolate have to be intertwined with a spiritual life so that there is a unity in our life. In order to attain sanctity through daily work, one needs to be a soul of prayer, to fight and struggle in that battle of prayer, to have a deep inner life. And when a person lives this way, everything we do can become a prayer because everything can and ought lead us to God. Every kind of work can become a prayer and thus every work can be an apostolate. And for the vast majority of Christians, the place for holiness and sanctification is in the world, not by fleeing the world. The world that we live in every day, we're a part of it. And so when we strive to follow Christ and imitate Christ, we're called to fashion the world from within, to shape it according to God's plan, to be that leaven in the midst of the bread that causes it to rise. This is the vocation of the laity. And this is why Opus Dei is not a form of religious life, which traditionally removes one from worldly affairs. Yes, some people are called by God to a religious vocation, and that is where they find sanctity. And it has and always will be a vocational path in the church, but it's also not the only path to holiness. To come to a conclusion, I do recommend the movie, There Be Dragons, which you can Google and watch on the internet. And allow me to mention a few of the values that we can learn from St. Jose Maria, which were seen in the movie. First, the timelessness of friendship. Jose Maria exemplified what could be the highest form of friendship, that of giving without expecting anything in return, only wanting the best for your friend. In the movie, Jose Maria and Manolo started to take completely different paths after their seminary days. Jose Maria became a priest and Manolo a spy in the war. But in spite of Manolo's animosity, Jose Maria tries his best to keep their friendship and write to him every year, even if he never responds. A spirit of poverty. Of course, the movie showed the famous episode from Escriva's life of the footprints in the snow. And one of my favorite scenes was when Jose Maria's friends surprised him with a birthday cake and entertained themselves with his worn out shoes. The soles were full of holes. It was very touching how people can be genuinely happy with such simple pleasures in life despite being poor. We see a dependence on God and strength of faith. 
Jose Maria always looked to God for the strength he needed to pursue his mission, even in the midst of a war. Despite the trials of what was going on, the circumstances around him, and the opposition of many people who opposed him, thought he was crazy for founding Opus Dei. And I remember one poignant scene while being hunted by the police. A beautiful woman offers him shelter in her small apartment. And Jose Maria replies, I'm a priest, but I'm also a man. And he refuses her offer of safety, knowing it would be a source of temptation. It could be an occasion of sin, even though it might also endanger his life not to have that place to live. There are many other characteristics the movie brings out. The joyful, open-minded, charitable, and amiable character of St. Maria. Certainly not the dull, boring life some might expect that saints have. In conclusion, the title of the movie, There Be Dragon, comes from olden times when there were yet unexplored lands and seas. So when they drew a map, they would label those areas on the map, there be dragons. Figuratively speaking, to me, it refers to going beyond our comfort zone, to move into that uncharted territory, to have the courage and faith on those mysterious paths of life, that this journey of holiness we're undertaking is an adventure. And we just don't always know where it is God is leading but we must have the courage to undertake it. The message of Jose Maria is that ordinary people are capable of being saints. Following his example and through his intercession, may we too come to the kingdom of heaven. We'll conclude with the opening prayer from the votive mass of St. Jose Maria Scriva. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God, our Father, you chose St. Jose Maria to proclaim the universal call to sanctity and apostolate in the church. By his example and prayers, grant that in faithfully carrying out our daily work in the Spirit of Christ, we may be formed in the likeness of your Son, and together with the most blessed Virgin Mary, serve the work of redemption with an ardent love. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.